chapter 3. Now there's many folks who like to be how would you say this? Who like to be taken away by prophecy. Prophecy becomes their whole thrust of what they want to learn. There was a church in Oregon um, that every year they would have what they called a prophecy update. And every year they would look at certain events in the world and certain things and they would say, surely the Lord's coming. He's coming soon. And I at one time was caught up in all that stuff too. I used to see, oh, there's an earthquake over here. Oh, man, it's, it's coming, it's coming. Or they found the red heifer and Oh, they, you hear these just different things. And you get caught up and you get caught up in the emotion of it. But you know what I was thinking? And I mentioned this about two weeks ago to Vicky. I said, I, I see how back then I was looking for signs and not looking to Christ. And that's the state of a lot of folks. They're looking at signs and all these things going on in the world, but their eyes aren't on Christ. And I'll tell you something, and I'm sure of this. We're a day closer today to the coming of the Lord than we were yesterday. <laughs> and I'll also tell you this. The scripture says no man knows the hour of the day. Nobody. Any man who says that, uh, well, you know, and even this, they get this, but you can know the seasons. No, the scripture says no man knows the hour of the day. It doesn't say you know the seasons. It says no man knows the hour of the day except the Father in heaven when Christ is going to come back. But we do, we, we can rest in the truth that we're a day closer, aren't we? And do we as God's people look forward to the coming of Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. With great anticipation, don't we? Yes. It's not wrong to look forward to the coming of Christ, but to get caught up in all these things that are going on in the world and to say, well, come on, you know. Now, again, you're looking at signs rather than the Savior. And see, we're carried away by those things, by, by our natural state. Look at this. The second epistle here brings forth how long-suffering the Lord is. Do you know why the Lord's tarrying right now? Because there's still some lost sheep. You know when the lost sheep is saved, it's over, beloved. The covenant is finished. It's over. Look at this in Second Peter chapter 3. Peter writes, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and in both which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. Do you know we've been in the last days for 2,000 years? Look at this. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? They... 
Now, have we not heard people in our generation say that? Where is he? You keep telling us Christ is coming. Oh, he's still not come. Look at that. There's always been scoffers, beloved. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God. The heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So there's a set day we see here. You know, there was a set day when Christ entered into this world. There was a set day when Christ was crucified on Calvary's cross. There was a set day when he rose from the grave. And there was a set day when he ascended into heaven. And now we see here there's a set day to when the Lord is going to judge this world. Judge all the ungodly. Now, the only difference between us and the ungodly is that we're sinners saved by grace. That's the only difference. Because in our natural state, we were ungodly. And, and by, our, by our sinfulness, the, the, only, the only reason we're not ungodly is because we're in Christ. That's the only reason. <clears throat> That's the only reason. Outside of Christ, we're just like everyone else. And we were. Don't ever forget where we came from. Don't ever forget the pit we were in when the Lord pulled us out of it. Because it's him who did it. He pulled us out of that pit, beloved. That pit of sin we were in. And the scriptures, look at this. Whereby the world that, that then was being overflowed with water perished. They, Noah said, there's a flood coming. And they laughed and they mocked him. There's a flood coming. Wrath of God's going to fall. Ha, 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 Noah, come on. It's never rained. My, oh, my. Then it started, didn't it? And it says here, overflowed with water, all that were in it perished, except for those who were. Where? One day is as a thousand years to the Lord. He's only been gone for two days. Right? Not very long, is it? Nope. And from Adam to, to Christ coming was 2,000 years. Or no. Yeah, well, the world is 6,000 years old. So it's been six days since he created the world. <laughs> oh, my. Isn't that incredible? Oh, my. One day. He's in, remember... We are caught in time and space. We are beings of time and space. He's outside of time and space. Time and space doesn't constrain our God. We're constrained by time and space. He's not. And the amazing thing is, he entered into time and space to redeem us. And then exited back out. Let that, let, chew on that this week. <laughs> that Christ did that himself. God himself did that. Entered into time and space to redeem his people and in exited time and space and is now in glory. 
where he mediates for us. And one day to him is like a thousand years. Think of what's happened in the... Th- think, think of the Romans and the Greeks, all those the Persian empires, all these great empires that rose up in time. Reigned for three, four hundred years. Think of even our nation. Raised up in the, in the War of Independence. All for God's purpose. All for his glory. And from our nation, the gospel flows forth into all the world, doesn't it? And not just our nation, but all where God's preachers are. It's absolutely amazing. And we in freedom can gather together and praise God when others cannot gather together in freedom like we have. God's been real good to us, hasn't he? He's been so gracious to us. And look at this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, so some men can count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now that verse here is torn out of context so much by people. It's one of the most torn out of context verses. I want us to turn to chapter 1 of Second Peter here. And I want us to look and see who Peter's writing to. Well, we know that he's writing to a group of Christians. Actually, go to, go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And look at this. His first epistle is written to these same people. Peter. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, and obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace be to you, and peace be multiplied. So we see there he's writing to the people of God, right? He's writing to the people of God. We'll look at verses 1, 2, and... And let's look at verse 3, too, of Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Look at this. To them that have obtained like precious faith. Well, who's that? Who are the ones who have obtained like precious faith? What's well, God's people, isn't it? Not all the world, not everybody in the world has obtained this faith. It's not given to everybody in the world. But we who are the people of God have obtained it by the grace of God and the mercy of God. He gave it to us, didn't he? So Paul's writing to believers here. With us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you and through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Look at verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So Paul's, or Peter is evidently writing to God's elect. So this verse in verse 9, which is often ripped out of context, let's read it again. Reading this with who this letter is written to. 
the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to who? To us-word. Who's the us-word? That's God's elect. He, look at this. But is long-suffering to us-word. How long-suffering has God been with me and with you as a believer through our lives? Just think on that this week. When I was dead in sin and shaking my fist at God, after the Lord saved me and I rebelled too still, a sinner saved by grace but still sinner. And how long-suffering is he with us? He didn't turn away from us, did he? Even when we were dead in sins, his eye was upon us. All things were working out in our lives for for our good and for his glory. All things? Yeah, that's what the scripture says. But all that pain I went through in this circumstance of my life, all things. I didn't know it when I was going through it. And I didn't even know Christ. But all that was working for my good and for his glory. Now we look back on that, don't we, as believers? Oh, how long-suffering God is with us. He didn't destroy us as we were shaking our fists at him in our sin. Because Christ had redeemed us at Calvary's cross by his precious, precious blood. And so look at this. Let's read this as believers here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some man counts slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, people take this verse and they say, see, see, God wants everyone to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Who's the letter written to? God's elect. He will not let one of his sheep that he died for, Christ will not let one of his sheep that he died for be lost. Not one. They all will come to repentance. And we're living proof of that, aren't we? We're living proof of that. We who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're living proof that, God, that God's long-suffering. That he's not slack concerning his promise. All that the Father hath given me shall come to me, Christ said. That's a promise, isn't it? And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. No wise. They're mine. I purchased them, Christ says, with my precious, precious blood. I redeemed them at Calvary's cross. I bore the wrath of God that was intended for them at Calvary's cross. And they're mine. God says, thou art mine. Oh, wonderful words for saved sinners. We're his. We're his by creation, aren't we? And we're his by purchase as well. He created us, and then he redeemed our souls. My, oh my. And then it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Look at that. The day of the Lord's going to come and when no one's expecting it. God's people are expecting it, aren't we? We look and, and wait with great anticipation for the coming of the Lord. We say, even so, come quickly with our apostles. <laughs> Come quickly, Lord. <laughs> One day is as a thousand years, so our lifespan's like seconds to him. 
Isn't that incredible? Long time for us, eh? If we live in our 80s and our 90s, long time for us. Seconds for the Lord. Milliseconds for the Lord. No wonder the scripture says our life is like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. You know, when you, in the winter, you blow out, and that vapor comes out, and it's, it just dissipates, doesn't it? That's our lives. When you consider one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, you can see why our lives but a vapor. Look what it says. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. I remember telling my daughter one time, she goes, well, shouldn't we be good stewards of the earth? And I said, absolutely, we should be good stewards of the earth. I said, absolutely. But it's all going to burn, honey. Oh, man, she, you know, oh, my gosh, Dad, don't say that. It's true. We see it right here before us. Everything we see in this world is temporal, including this earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Wherein dwells righteousness, beloved. And there's another thing. Do you remember this? Do you remember in the 70s, it was all about the Ice Age? you remember that? Oh, there's going to be another Ice Age. going to be another Ice Age. It's going to come and everything's going to get frozen up. I remember reading books before the Lord saved me, reading books on this and getting all worked up. Well, then the next generation comes along and says, well, it's all about global warming. You see? You know what? You know how, you know how man is controlled? By fear. You know what the Lord says to Mephibosheth? Think of this. Think of this. David, King David, Mephibosheth bought to David's throne, right? And what's the first thing David says to him? Fear not. What does God say to us? Fear not. Don't be afraid. God's in control of everything, isn't he? Now we're aware of what's going on. We're aware of, of, of it's good to be aware of things. We don't want to have our head in the sand like an ostrich, do we? Not at all. Don't, don't get so worked up and carried away by these things that you're not looking to Christ. Because again, every molecule, every atom in this universe is under his control. Those snowflakes are hitting the ground according to his divine will and purpose. And they're piling up exactly how he wants them to pile up. I was talking to young Jacob this week and we were talking just about how amazing our God really is. And we don't really think about how... how he, Jake brought up, he says, think of this, Wayne. He says, all the sheep in the world, including all the people in the world, over six billion people now, right? And he feeds us all. We're clothed. But for his people, he has his eye upon. Tom, he has his eye on, on your life and you, just like he has on mine at the same time. And not just us, but all the saints all around the whole world. He knows everything that's happening, every single thing that's happening. He is so, he loves his people so much that even the hairs of their head are numbered. He loves us so intimately and knows us so intimately that even the hairs of our head are numbered. Whom shall we fear then, right? The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear, David wrote. 
My. So don't get carried away by the, the fear that's being generated. It's generated all around us in the media. It's generated all around us. Fear. All fear-based. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. People will fear things in this world and not fear God. Again, we're to be aware, aren't we? We're to be aware. I'm not saying don't be aware. Be aware of things going on. Just don't get carried away with them. Don't get carried away with them. Trust in the Lord. Again, as I said in Sunday school, that's the hardest thing for us to do is just rest, isn't it? Just to trust the Lord. And it says here, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Everything we see. Even we're temporal, aren't we? Yeah. We're going to get put in the ground. When we die, we're going to, we're going to return to dust. We're going to return to dust. Just temporal. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversations and godliness? In, in light of that, how should we be? My. Looking for and, and hasting unto the coming of a, the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. My, oh my. So Peter's written these words to believers and he addresses the subject of the return of Christ. The return of Christ. And this event is prophesied both in the Old Testament and in the New. And it will occur on the day of the Lord, which we see in verse 10. It will occur according to God's timing and according to his purpose. And if some man tells you he knows something and the Lord's coming on a certain day, you can be sure as the sun rises the next day that it's not going to be that day that the Lord comes back. I remember Milton Howard said that one time. He said, he said you hear somebody, you hear somebody, uh, this is funny, he used to be a missionary to Mexico. He says, you hear somebody say, the Lord's going to come back on that day? He says, you go and bet a million dollars. You're going to win a lot of money. <laughs> oh my, he is a character. But it's true. No man knows the hour of the day. It'll occur all according to God's timing. And look at verse 10 again. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. My. What power. What power. What power will be exercised? Who, and who is going to exercise that? Jehovah. God, my Savior. If you're a believer, God, your Savior. Isn't that wonderful? That's who holds us in his hands. If he can keep every atom in place and every molecule where it's supposed to be, it's not hard to keep me. <laughs> not hard to keep you either. Oh, my. And Peter warns, though. Look at, look at Peter warns this, that, that the day of Christ is coming. Look at verse 3 again. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. Scoffers. Walking after their own lusts 
And they will say, where is the promise that's coming? Where is he? Now again, we've all heard people say that in our lives. Where is he? Come on, Wayne, where is he? You keep saying he's going to come, where is he? Well, he's in the heavens right now. And he's doing whatever he pleases. And on the day that I don't know, he's coming back. <laughs> and I ain't even going to speculate. I'm, I'm not even going to speculate. But I know he's coming. He's promised he's coming. I can trust in him. My. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Yep. That's right. God's still in control. He's in control when he created all this. He's in control even when he came to this earth. He's in control right now in glory. <laughs> and he's going to wrap it all up whenever he's pleased. And then there'll be a new heaven. Look at verse 13. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. My. Oh my goodness. But, but don't, don't be fooled. Time is not consequential to Jehovah. Again, he's not constrained by time like we are. Time is consequential for us, isn't it? We've got 24 hours in a day. Seven days a week. Some live a long life. Some live a short life. Some live a medium life, right? In years. But look again, verse 8. But, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years. My lifetime's nothing to him. A lot to me. A lot to you. A vapor to him. Scripture says this in Psalm 90, verse 4. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday. Think of that. But it's yesterday. Why? Why, why would the scripture say that? Because a thousand day, a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. Just like yesterday. Think of that. Just like yesterday. What's happened in a thousand years? What's happened in two thousand years? What's happened in three thousand years? What's happened in four thousand years? What's happened in five thousand years? What's happened in six thousand years? Like six days for the Lord. Oh my. Scripture says this again. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday. When it is past and is a watch in the night. My. Jehovah is the high and lofty one, beloved. He inhabits eternity. Again, we're constrained by time and space. He is not constrained by time. We are, though. He inhabits eternity according to Isaiah 57 13 he inhabits eternity all time to him is therefore but a mere point or a moment all of time to him is just a point just a moment my how great is our God beloved how great is the one who saved us how great is the one who came to this earth and redeemed us purchased our souls and now went to glory. How great is he? The next thing I want us to consider is, 
is God always keeps his word. Look at the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness. Now we promise things and we can't do it all the time, do we? Used to be a group movement way back called Promise Break or Promise Keepers. They should have called themselves Promise Breakers because that's all we are as humans. We break promises all the time. Think of all the peace treaties. We talked about that a few few sermons back. Think of all the men is constantly trying to seek peace. And they, they're peace breakers, aren't they? They break the peace. They're truth breakers. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna agree to this, and then a month later they're fighting each other again. But God, when he says when he promises something, when he says all that the when Christ said all that the Father give me shall come to me. Everyone. That's why you hear us preachers say, God won't lose one of his sheep. Not one. And that means if you and I are a sheep, he won't lose us. He saved us and he kept us. He, and he will keep us too, won't he? Now that's comforting, isn't it? That's comforting as we see everything going on in this world. See saber rattling between nations and things. It's comforting to know that God will keep me through all this. No matter what. And then he's going to take me to glory. If it all wraps up when I'm alive, I'll go right to glory to be with him. Oh, my. He's not slack. Scoffers mocked Noah concerning the coming judgment. But then it came at the appointed time, didn't it? At the exact appointed time, it started raining. The fountains of the deep, it says, came open. Underground springs welled up. My, oh, my. Oh my, they mocked them. Scoffers mocked the prophets about the, the coming judgments against them. Isaiah fifty nine nineteen it says this, that say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. My. My, oh my. Man have scoffed about the Lord from the beginning. They mock his judgments. But I'll tell you what, they don't mock his judgments when they fall at that appointed time. No, no, not at all. Look at verse verse 9 again. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. If some man count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Look at that. Law is long-suffering to us, Again, who's the us word? Well, we know from what we looked at earlier, it's God's people. It's those who have obtained like precious faith, isn't it? It's God's elect, who by the grace and mercy of God were purchased at Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago. And who by the regenerating power of God, the Holy Spirit, are born again and granted faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. My. And some teach again, I, I mentioned earlier, some teach that God's not willing that any member of mankind should perish. And they teach that every member of mankind is capable of coming to salvation of his own free will or by something that they do. And, and think of this, when they're teaching that, they're teaching that God's will is subservient to man's will. I'll tell you what. We're at the mercy of God. 
We're at his mercy. That's why the publican said, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And the the self-righteous Pharisee was saying, I thank you, I'm not like him. Oh my. And there's that, that publican with his head down saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. So, false teachers teach that God's long-suffering to every member of mankind and that, that he hopes that all shall come to repentance. But that's not who this verse is written to. It's not written to all the world. It's written to God's people. And we marvel when it says he's long-suffering to us, word, I marvel that I'm included in that number. Is it so for you? That the us word is me and you. My, God's not willing that any of his people shall perish. No, not one. Why? Because he purchased them with his precious blood. And they make up his body. You think the Lord's going to have in heaven a, a missing finger off his hand? No. Or a missing toe? No, nothing. Just as he is perfect, we'll be perfect in him. That's when we get the glory. We're imperfect here, aren't we? We know it. But oh, we wait for that day when we'll go home with the Lord, either at his coming or at our death. My. If God is helpless to save sinners, then he's a failure. But our God, the scripture says, shall not fail. He shall not fail. He, he came to accomplish salvation for us and he, and he accomplished it perfectly. Remember, nothing to be added to it. Finished to perfection. <laughs> I'm so thankful I found that. That's just, that's, you're going to be hearing me mention that because it's, it's like, it's, I'll tell you what, it's just so wonderful to think that and to know that, that God's work is being brought to perfection in Christ. That we're so saved that it's all done by Christ and it's brought to perfection. And it's nothing we've done. My Lord. So it's a grievous error of this universal salvation that they claim here in this verse. And Peter, in the context of this text, clearly distinguishes us from them with the words here. Let's look at this again. This second epistle, beloved, now I write unto you in both which I stir up your pure way by, re- by way of remembrance that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the, apo- of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord, of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. So there's a separation here between God's people and those who are scoffers. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which 
are now by the same word are kept in store reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly man. There's a separation here, isn't there? And then it says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. And who's his promise to his people? But his long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So there's definitely a separation in our text. Us from them. The scoffers walking in their own lust. Ungodly men, verse 7, that will be destroyed in the day of the Lord, verse 10. And in the greater context, this includes false teachers. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall fall their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So there's a separation there too. My. And look who again he addresses this epistle to. Second Peter 1 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. Through the righteousness of God and our Savior. So he describes God's people as the recipients of grace and peace. Who have obtained like precious faith. Through Christ, who have escaped the corruption that's in this world. Again, look at Second Peter verses or chapter one, verses two to four. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So those who are objects of Jehovah's calling and election, look at verse 10 of the first chapter. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, ye shall never fail. Look at verse 12. That those, those who are God's people are established in the truth. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Do you know the gospel? Do you know that Christ alone saves his people by, by no works of our own? That's been revealed to you, beloved, by God. Because not everyone believes that. And then look verse uh, 11 in Second Peter chapter 3. What are we characterized by? Well, holy conduct and godliness. Looking for the hastening and coming of the day of God. The world doesn't look for the coming of Christ. Not at all. They don't care. You know, when, when before the Lord saved me, I went and saw one of those those movies. I don't remember what they were. They were Mark of the Beast and all those things. The movies they used they scare the my goodness. They just you know 
they were very religious movies, and they were they were they were made and they were put out and talked about all this stuff's going to happen during the tribulation and all this stuff and all this stuff going on and all and uh, you know I was afraid for a couple of days and then forgot about the Lord's coming. Didn't really think about it anymore. Maybe here and there, but didn't concern me. Did it concern you before the Lord saved you? Oh, yeah, well, those folks believe that. Those Bible thumpers. I, I guess now I'm a Bible thumper because I'm a Bible believer. I, I believe what the Word says. I believe the Lord's coming back. I do. I believe he's not slack concerning his problems or his promises. He's, he, he, he will come back. And we look for his... Look for his coming, don't we? We look for his coming. My. And Peter brings forth the beloved of God, doesn't he? My, oh my. We're beloved of God. And then he talks about long-suffering here. I'm going to quickly do this here. He talks about long-suffering, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some man count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word. Peter here brings forth the long-suffering of God towards his people. And this speaks of Jehovah in his covenant relationship to us. He's not, he, he's, he doesn't get tired of us. Doesn't get tired of us. He loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love. His love has been set upon us from eternity. And the love that God has for his people is so deep that Christ came to this world to redeem us. God himself. The love that Christ has for us is so deep, so immeasurable, that the Son of God himself, sent by God the Father, came to this earth to redeem sinners, to purchase us with his precious, precious blood. That's why the Lord's long-suffering with us, because we're his people. We're people of his choosing. We're people he's redeemed with his precious blood. God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh, God in the flesh has redeemed us. Because he's loved us with eternity. And oh, how long-suffering he is with us. Let us eagerly await for his return. And let us not be swayed by people saying, well, look at this going on over here. Surely he's coming. He's, he's coming even quick. Well, he's coming. Every day it's getting closer. And I don't know the day, and, and they don't know the day, but I'll tell you what, people can get so wrapped up in all that stuff. And it just gets our eyes off Christ. Say, but yeah, but I'm, but I'm looking into a good thing, the coming of Christ. Yeah, rejoice over the coming of Christ, yeah. But I'll tell you what, you start looking at signs and your eyes aren't on Christ anymore. And I know for a fact, when I get my eyes off Christ, I get in a world of trouble. <laughs> I start getting worried, I start getting all these things happen, I get anxious. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me to focus 
my eyes on you. What did our beloved brother who wrote this epistle say? Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Help me just to rest in you, Lord. Help me each day to rejoice that it's a day closer to your coming and a day closer to me being in glory with you forever, Lord Jesus. Let that give you comfort this week, beloved. And rejoice that you are included in the us word. I rejoice at that all the time. All by God's mercy and grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for electing sovereign love which chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world.